Before we dive in, a brief shout out. This episode is brought to you by the Doctors Unbound podcast. Like us, they're members of the Doctor Podcast Network. Check out the Doctors Unbound podcast for fascinating interviews that share how physicians are making an impact outside of the hospital or clinic. Whether it's founding a high-tech company in healthcare, running for public office, or starting a nonprofit, tune in to the Doctors Unbound podcast for weekly stories that will uplift and inspire you. And if you're interested in financial literacy and independence, the host of the Doctors Unbound podcast, Dr. Dave, regularly covers these topics as he and his family are on their own journey of achieving financial independence with short-term rentals. Subscribe to the Doctors Unbound podcast for free wherever you listen to podcasts. With that said, on to our main feature. Welcome to another episode of Medical Liability Minute, where we talk about medical legal cases in the news for more than one minute. We're joined today by Medical Justice's General Counsel, Mike Sakopoulos. Thanks for joining us today, Mike. Oh, thanks for having me. Looking forward to it. So today we've got cases or a case from the National Football League. Most doctors won't see a patient from the NFL, NBA. They won't see professional athletes, but every so often you may run into someone who is famous or extraordinarily wealthy, has media presence, and um, it can create its own host of issues. Why don't you dive in and talk about the background of this one particular case, and we'll use that as a springboard for a broader discussion. All right. We're going to go with the change-up pitch because I think at this point, everyone is expecting me to talk about concussions, right? People hitting their heads and all that kind of of problem. I'm going to focus on someone that had some some basic type of uh, surgery that could happen to to any of us. And this uh, person's name is uh, Shafford Floyd. He's a former NFL uh, player. He played for the Minnesota Vikings. In fact, back in 2013, he was a first round uh, draft pick, a defensive uh, player. And so here's what happened. He had uh, problems with a a knee. So he underwent uh, microfracture uh, surgery that he had uh, drilled into his bone and there was some bleeding and post-operatively a pain blocker was administered. And Mr. Floyd claims that because of an improper job in administering that uh, post-op pain blocker that he suffered uh, nerve and tissue damage and ultimately had some uh, degree of paralysis, which was enough to effectively end his career in the NFL. So, Mike, That's it wasn't necessarily the core operation that he had to repair the knee. It sounds like it was a block related to local anesthetic after the procedure, or maybe it was given to him during the procedure, but to assist with post-operative pain management that effectively... Uh, ended his career and created what I am assuming to be 
healthy amount of litigation. That's right. And and this this player in particular is someone who is uh, very well uh, compensated. He, in fact, was making uh, just shy of uh, $7 million uh, per season uh, playing for Minnesota uh, Vikings, which pretty pretty good gig if you can get it. Pretty, pretty good gig. I assume that uh, that does not include endorsement deals that he may have had on top of that, uh, but certainly a, local a boatload, of, boatload of money. But no endorsement for the local anesthetic that was used post-operatively, I no, guess. No, I, I don't think any pharma um, endorsements okay. are, are flowing his direction. Um, so <clears throat> that that forms the basis of how do we get to $180 million of damages for but someone. hang on, that ended, it ended his career, correct? It ended his career. And I don't have... Um, all the facts, but certainly that he's no longer playing and that's his allegation. And it seems to be uh, a factual. Okay. So here we are, they... someone who is, is treated by uh, physicians, because as you know, the NFL hall has, each team has their own orthopedic uh, surgeons that travel with the team. Mm-hmm. There've been um, interesting discussions in the last few years about whether these physicians have to be licensed in every state. Um, yeah. But putting that putting that aside, we have someone who was was treated, and there is some degree of paralysis. What might not be much of a problem for somebody like me, who rarely gets off of the couch, is career ending for someone like Mr. Floyd, who's in the the NFL. So there we are. Let's let's think about what that means, right? It means that certain patients are and this rubs people the wrong way. Certain patients are more valuable than others. I know. Now let's it's hard talk to about say. what. Da- but let's talk about what damages look like. So if a if an individual doesn't have to be an NFL player is injured, if if John Doe is injured, how are damages calculated after a medical mishap? It's calculated by medical bills, either current or future. So it could be a treatment plan where someone needs to be in a rehabilitation facility, you know, for 20 years, that's a medical bill. It's also lost wages. If they can't earn a living, what could that person have made for the duration of their uh, life and discounted to present day value? And then pain and suffering. Those are the, the three buckets. There are other buckets that are in there, but those are the three largest buckets. And certainly, with an NFL player, the lion's share of this is going to be in terms of current and future wages. You have, how much did you say he was making? Seven million dollars a year? Just, just shy, six point eight million so a year. So there almost certainly are actuarial tables which identify how long the average tackle was that his position. Tackle. He was a def- defensive, uh, defensive player how long the defensive player would typically play. How many years of life would an average person um, have had left to his career? And then you just do the math. But when you start with $7 million as one of the variables, it doesn't take long to get up to a ridiculously large number, correct? That's right. So you, you hit on a number of the variables, right? What is the age of the person? Because we're going to look at the damage if it, there's permanent damage, um, the balance of their, their life expectancy. So a damage to someone in his or her 80s 
is not is considered legally as much damage potentially as that same problem that would be incurred in someone who's 20 who has to live with the problem for the balance of their their life so life expectancy at the time of, of, of injury is certainly one of the factors. And then you mentioned the discounting. So you would get a lump sum. What's the present value of, of this amount of money? And I will tell you that that also has gone up because interest rates are down right now. Mm-hmm. Right? You think about what can you get for a pile of money? Well, you get a lot less now than you used to get, which means you need to have a bigger pile of money up front. These are things that drive the the cost or, or verdicts up. So in a sense, it's like purchasing an annuity. If you're trying to give someone um, $100,000 every year for the rest of their life, you could purchase an annuity and there's a known cost associated with purchasing an annuity and it's going to be more expensive if it has to start paying off today as opposed to you know starting 10 years down the road and they do vary depending upon what the prevailing interest rates are in a low interest rate environment the insurance company cannot make a lot of interest on its money so it has to charge a greater premium, if you will, to purchase the annuity. Just as your example suggests, um, if we're in a low interest rate environment, when you get hit with a uh, with a judgment, you'll have to do your calculation with a larger initial number. You don't have interest, high interest payments to make it up over time. If the interest rate was 10%, you know, the payment over time would be um, very different than if the interest rates were 0.5%. And we are in a low interest environment, so the discounting is not going to be as significant as it might otherwise be. Absolutely. So these are things that insurance carriers and and attorneys are are thinking about when trying to evaluate the... um, the, the worth of a of a claim or a case. Mike, there's a lot of panache to take care of famous people or wealthy people or those in the media. Most people are flattered to be asked to do that. They are delighted to say, I'm taking care of uh, an NFL player. I'm taking care of someone who works at Cirque du Soleil. I'm taking care of a Hollywood actor. Um, so that's the upside, you know, that someone who's quite famous has entrusted you to take care of them. So that probably feels quite good. The downside is, is that if there's a problem, that same that same benefit that you had has a negative valence, meaning that you're now going to be in the media as that, that person who botched an operation. Think for a moment of Joan Rivers, a um, very famous person and she had an operation to deal, what was it, a vocal cord operation? I can't even remember yes. precisely what it was. Yes. So a vocal cord operation done in a surgery center and just went horribly wrong with lots of things happening at once. And she um, developed an hypoxic injury and ultimately died. But who wouldn't want to have taken care of her? I mean, it's very flattering. You know, Joan Rivers thinks I'm the greatest person. I'm sure she knows other wealthy, famous celebrities that she'll send you. Got to go see Dr. Siegel. He's the best. Um, Flip side is also true. If you end up having a problem with um, wealthy, famous, talented people, um, you'll be a media star. So it cuts both ways. 
that that it does and and we've seen that time in and in time out haven't we with uh different oftentimes in the aesthetic arena where people are are unhappy with their uh their their surgery um and then their their complaints or at least public comments about oh my god who did so and so surgery it looks horrible so. And the question is, can you truly even insure enough? I mean, how can you even purchase enough insurance to take care of an NFL player? I, I don't I mean, I'm just looking at the math right now. I don't see how any individual can purchase a policy that would pay off one hundred and eighty million dollars. I don't see how that's possible. I, I don't I don't either. And the thing is, it's such an outlier, right? You're going to treat one or two of these patients potentially um, in your in your career how do you how do you staff up or or insure up for that kind of um, exposure um, very very difficult to do we um we have a member of medical justice who was approached by the NFL to take care of um, to be the team doctor and I think the conversation was um, well he's got a million dollars worth of coverage may have even had two million dollars worth of coverage but what happens if someone is injured and is claiming 180 million dollars how do you how do you how do you thread that needle and in, to me it really should be the nfl's problem i mean the nfl is a goliath making a gazillion dollars off of these players and it seems like there should be a way for them to self-insure to actually pay for the insurance but i don't know that's that, that, that that's what they do i think they recognize there's a large enough pool of people who are out there that are delighted playing team physician or specialist for any individual player that they'll do it for nothing they just like the idea of being a participant even though you know the nfl and other large sports franchises are money-making operations i think it's patently unfair to have the individual doctor shoulder the burden for professional liability when they can't purchase the whole amount on the real market and the price for this type of temporary fame is potential bankruptcy correct i i agree with that the other thing that i think is um is a real exposure that many people don't think about it's the, it's the nfl what, what kind of position do you think you're going to get you're going to get an orthopedist right because that is the vast majority of the mm -hmm. type of injuries that uh, these athletes are sustaining but there have been a number of medical malpractice suits against team physicians for areas outside of orthopedics. Someone missed a skin lesion that turns out to be melanoma. Well, the physician that is is treating the, the patient or seeing the, the, the player, I would assume is not as well trained in dermatology as a as a as a full-time dermatologist or board certified. Mike, that is quite a leap for you to conclude an orthopedic surgeon is not adept at being able to identify a tiny melanoma. It, there, there you go. So the risk of not referring people for things that are outside the scope of your normal practice um, is certainly there, and we've seen multi-million dollar lawsuits because of it. Now, we, public, we published a blog post a number of years ago about how, you know, what happens when uh, Wall Street investment banker comes to your office or a tech titan technology titan comes in and they ultimately get injured because of your care why how is it that you're unlikely to get bankrupted for people who are 
thinking about this and thinking about sustaining their living, they have purchased insurance, they have disability insurance, they have life insurance. So if there is an untoward outcome, the, they're not depending upon you and your $1 million policy to be made whole. They're depending upon themselves. So that that is helpful, I think, in terms of trying to mitigate risk because they're not looking to come after you for a pot of gold that you can never supply them. They've taken care of business themselves with either disability or life insurance. But I don't know that that's the case in um, in the sports world. I mean, I, I would think it'd be very difficult <laughs> to get disability insurance as an NFL player. It may even be difficult to get life insurance as an NFL player. I don't know that, but think about even more dangerous sports like mixed martial arts. Um, do you think that they have an easy time being able to get um, disability insurance? And if they do, you can only imagine there are a gazillion exclusions for when that policy would ever pay off. I, w I would think so. It'd be interesting to see one of those kind of policies actually. It would have to have the exclusions would be um, much more lengthy than the actual coverage itself, I would imagine. So what do you think? I mean, if you were to give advice to a doctor in terms of taking care of a celebrity or a sports celebrity for that nature, um, I think the first thing you'd want to do is figure out the risk tolerance of the individual doing it. What are they being asked to do? I mean, at the end of the day, most of the time, they won't have to take any action. Um, most of this is a self-sustaining group. The injuries are not particularly severe. And to the extent the patient or an NFL player is injured, it's usually because they're injured on the field, not because of anything you did as a doctor. So the odds are probably in your favor. Most of the time, there will not be a problem. But I do think you need to prepare for it. I think one of the things that I would probably recommend is to make sure that you have buttoned up your assets. That is, you have a very um, robust asset protection plan in advance of this, so you're not vulnerable. Go into it with your eyes open, but make sure that the majority of your assets are protected against a judgment that goes well beyond uh, your policy limits. That's, that's, uh, that's strong advice. I think you're exactly right. And asset protection means many different things. I think the first thing to do is to get an audit of your assets. What types of things do you have? What do you own? How are they titled? How are they structured? What types of protections does your state give you just by virtue of you living in that state? For example, Texas and Florida have very strong homestead acts. What does that mean? It means that they can't take your home. Um, doesn't matter whether your home is $100,000 or $20 million in those two states. And I believe those are the two states that have very strong homestead acts. If you have the majority of your wealth tied up in your home, it cannot be, um, it cannot be taken from you. On the flip side, there are other states that have very weak homestead acts and the home is your home is one of the first things they can try and extract from you, particularly if you own it free and clear. Um, if the bank has a mortgage on it, they'll have to wait in line because the the bank has an ownership interest in your house. But by and large, where you live determines the types of protections you you have, and you may have um, retirement accounts that are 401ks or IRAs, and those have different levels of protection 
how you've structured your various businesses matter. But I, I can tell you that if you just put everything in your wife's name or your husband's name, that is not considered a particularly robust asset protection package, correct? That, that, that's right. Not particularly clever. Um, only points for thinking ahead a little bit, but um, you really need a comprehensive uh, strategy. There are people who are, yeah, and there are people who are quite good at this. There are people who are good at doing the audit. That is, what do you own? What do you have? How is it titled? How is it structured? And what is your risk? You don't need to take zero risk. You're just trying to manage risk. Nobody has zero risk. It's impossible to get rid of all risk in a cost-effective way. You have to live life. But it is a good idea to be aware of where you're vulnerable. So if you decide to take the risk of being the doctor to the stars, being a doctor to NFL or NBA players, being a doctor to uh, movie stars or investment bankers on Wall Street. You do it with eyes open so that you don't put all of your eggs in one basket. And we can make recommendations as to people we trust to do this type of audit. Now, they may recommend um, some changes to how things are titled, how investments are made, um, and so on and so forth, but that's that's TBD to be determined down the road once you've done an audit. You can't come up with a treatment plan and unless and until you've got a good diagnosis. And it varies depending upon what part of your career that you're in. If you're just starting your practice and you've graduated from a program, you likely don't have assets, you likely have debt, but you have a future in front of you and you're probably going to be a high earner over time. You don't need to solve this entire problem initially, but you need to start thinking about how to accumulate wealth over time and do it in a way where you don't put everything at risk. Um, many people don't think about asset protection unless and until everything is at risk. For example, a lawsuit. And what is unfortunate is that it, by the time you get hit with a judgment or settlement, it's just too late. You can't you can't structure something in a way to avoid paying a giant uh, judgment um, because that's considered a fraudulent conveyance and that's against the law. So that that's and nobody, no talented asset protection attorney will help you at that point. They'll say we can help you going forward with something that's not a current risk, but I can't fix your current problem. So the take home point right here is that if you're going to engage in asset protection, you need to do it well before there's an obvious problem, before there's an obvious debt that gets incurred, and make sure that you communicate with talented people who know what they're doing. This does not have to cost an arm and a leg to do it. I know there are people that charge an arm and a leg to do it, but I think the key thing is making sure that you're dealing with talented professionals that are using tried and true methods to determine what your risk is as well as to use tools that mitigate risk for you without you know using too many crazy vehicles it's good advice all right any other comments about taking care of the rich and famous that are out there um be careful on the hipaa front because we've seen a number of people mm. that have disclosed information thinking that the benefit of taking care of the patient is the public exposure that they can receive and um, that without patient permission can be or is a HIPAA violation. So word of the wise, be careful. That's right. Um, frequently, 
these types of individuals are selecting you because of your discretion. They don't want the public to know that they have a health problem. Um, they don't want the public to know they even have a doctor. Now, sometimes they do. And if that's the case and you want to use them as part of your advertising program, make sure you have their, their authorization to do so. That's right. Just because they talk about their medical condition doesn't mean that you can. It requires explicit um, pre-approval by the patient. Right. There, so, there's this myth that if a, pa if a patient is out of themselves with their own protected information, that the sky's the limit, that you can, you can corroborate everything that they said, but that is not true without the patient's authorization or a statute, statutory exception to the contrary, you have to remain mum, correct? That's, that's exactly right. And a number of people, unfortunately, have made that mistake thinking, well, the public already knows because so-and-so has talked extensively about her surgery. Well, she can talk about it because it was her surgery, but you cannot without that patient's permission. And look, don't beat us up. We don't make the rules here. We're just we're just articulating yeah. what they are. So don't please don't yeah, kill absolutely. the messenger here. That, that's right. As a Greek, I'm always sensitive about giving bad news. <laughs> yes. And on that uplifting and optimistic note, thanks so much for joining us today. And we'll catch everyone on the next episode of the Medical Liability Minute. Thank you. That's a wrap. Before we close, we'd like to once again direct our listeners to our colleagues at the Doctors Unbound podcast. You can find the Doctors Unbound podcast on your favorite podcast app. If you have a minute and you're not driving, of course, look at the podcast app on your phone and search for Doctors Unbound. Click subscribe and that's it, you're done. Thanks for supporting our fellow physicians as they pursue incredible lives outside of medicine. Until next time. And with that, we're at the end of our broadcast. Thanks for joining us. In closing, a few messages. If you're an existing member of medical or dental justice and you find yourself on the receiving end of a medical legal threat, please contact us at 1-877-MEDJUST. That's 1-877-MEDJUST or 633-5878. Our STAT hotline is a service offered to all current members. It's designed to get your urgent medical legal questions answered ASAP. Members can also access a plethora of exclusive medical legal resources by logging into their members-only page, which can be accessed by our website, medicaljustice.com. Now, we want to protect as many doctors as possible. If one of your colleagues is in trouble, please refer him. When a current member of medical justice refers a colleague and that colleague becomes a member, you both receive a month of free protection. To refer a colleague, write to us at infonews, that's I-N, Epizen Frank O News at medicaljustice.com. That's infonews at medicaljustice.com. Now, if you're not an existing member of medical or dental justice, but want to bulletproof your practice from medical legal threats, our admin, Wendy Cates, is your best resource for information about our protection plans, implementation best practices, and pricing models. Wendy can be reached directly at 336 358 5587. We offer discounts for large groups and protect doctors of all specialties in all states. Now, before we close, one last request. If you enjoyed this episode, please write a review on your preferred podcast provider and share our podcast with your colleagues. 
Reviews help maintain our podcast visibility, which in turn helps us reach a broader audience. This helps us protect more doctors. Thank you for joining us this week. We hope you'll join us on the next episode of the Medical Liability Minute.